In a couple of weeks, on November 20th, we're going to have our church elections. Uh, if you are an active member of the First Christian Church, we invite you to come. We'll have a congregational meeting that day, and we'll select elders and deacons and, and folks uh, to lead our congregation uh, for the next year, couple years. Uh, and we want to invite you to, to check that out. Uh, and today, because of these elections coming up, I want to talk a little bit about church leadership. I want to talk about God's expectations of church leaders and God's expectations for church leadership. Specifically, we're going to talk about elders and deacons this morning. And we're going to talk about exactly what it is that an elder does and what it is that a deacon does. We're going to talk about, uh, we're going to talk about uh, qualifications and expectations. Um, and uh, I, we're going to turn to the book of 1 Timothy to begin with. In 1 Timothy is where we're going to start, and we're going to look also at the book of Titus, and some other uh, books along the way, some other verses that we talk about lessons in leadership. So if you'll turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3, if you'll grab a Bible and turn to 1 Timothy 3, we're going to read the whole chapter of 1 Timothy 3, because it talks about elders and deacons, and then we're going to turn over to, to the book of Titus chapter 1 in just a moment. So 1 Timothy chapter 3. Paul writes to the young, his young protege, Timothy, Here is a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Deacons, likewise, are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then, if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be the husband of but one wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing the you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. Timothy was Paul's protege. He was a young preacher, young pastor, and uh, Paul sent Timothy to the church at Ephesus in order to strengthen the church, uh, in order to help the church with regards to a, a, a heresy that was being taught there called Gnosticism. And it was this idea that a special knowledge was necessary in order to be saved. And so Paul sent Timothy there to strengthen the church at Ephesus, and he gives them instructions. He gives them instructions about what they're supposed to do with uh, deacons and elders, and then Paul had another young protege. His name was Titus. And if you look at Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, Titus learned about the faith through Paul. And Titus was sent to Corinth, and he was also sent to the island of Crete. The reason I left you in Crete, verse 5 of chapter 1 in the book of Titus, the reason I left you in Crete 
was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, the husband of but one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, one who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. I was listening to a message by theologian and scholar D.A. Carson. And, and Carson said something very interesting. He said that the remarkable thing about the list of qualifications for elders and deacons is that they're really rather unremarkable. I thought to myself, well, that doesn't make sense. I mean, look at this list of, of qualifications for elders and deacons. I mean, look at this list. These are, this is tough stuff. This is hard things, right? Well, Carson goes on to say that when you look at the lists of qualifications of elders and deacons, then in reality, these are the list of, this is a list of qualifications for Christians. That in all actuality, uh, elders and deacons are called to be Christians first and foremost. For example, uh, an elder must be the husband of but one wife, right? The Greek construction actually lends more to an a, a interpretation of it must be a one-woman man. And this question of husband of but one wife has created controversies in the church for thousands of years. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. What does it mean? Can an elder uh, be divorced? Can an elder be single? Um, what if the elder's wife passes away and he gets remarried? All these questions come up. The, like I said, the Greek construction actually lends itself more to an uh, a interpretation of must be a one-woman man. In other words, faithfulness is what is called for on behalf of, a, of an elder, Faithfulness, fidelity, must not be a cheater, must not cheat on his wife. Now, the question I have is, so if I'm not signing up to be an elder, am I allowed to cheat on my wife? No. No. First and foremost, an elder is to be, and a deacon is to be, a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus Christ. What about drunkenness? Well, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, it says, Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, do not get drunk on too much wine. That was for all Christians. So an elder is told, don't be given over to drunkenness. Well, that's a qualification for all Christians. None of us are supposed to get drunk. Gentleness, self-control. Uh, elders are supposed to be gentle, supposed to be self-controlled. Well, the way I read the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5 it says that gentleness and self-control are a byproduct of the Holy Spirit working in your life. And if you're a Christian, you've got the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit should be working in all our lives. We should all be becoming more gentle and more self-controlled, right? Not a recent convert. Well, everybody at one point or another is a recent convert, but for an elder, that just makes good sense. That an elder would be someone who's mature and seasoned in their faith. If you're going to be a leader in God's church, you need to be somebody who's kind of on the ball, 
who knows the Word of God, able to teach it. But we're all supposed to be growing in our faith. We're all supposed to be becoming more mature as Christians. We're all supposed to be getting to the point where we're able to feed ourselves. We're to read our Bibles and understand what's going on as the Holy Spirit reveals it to us. We're all supposed to be growing in our faith. It's not just elders. Everybody's supposed to be growing in their faith. And so I think that one of the things that we need to do when it comes to elders is that we need to look at their Christian walk. Rather than going down a checklist and saying, you've got this, 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 you need to work on this, do this, 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 and this. What kind of a Christian are they? What is the evidence of the fruit in their life? Jesus said that the world will know that we are his followers by our fruit, by the fruit that we bear. He is the vine, we are the branches, and we bear fruit as we walk with him. Um, so if you'll turn on your, the back of your uh, bulletin there, you'll find the handy-dandy outline. And the first blank on your outline is an elder is a, is a Christian. And we've got to ask ourselves, is this person who is nominated to be an elder for the Griffith First Christian Church, what kind of a Christian are they? Are they pursuing a relationship with Jesus Christ? And are they striving to become more like him? That's to me, is the most important question. Is this person who's, who wants to be an elder, are they a Christian first and foremost? Secondly, an elder is a servant leader. An elder is a servant leader. And I see two indications of this from the way elders are described in Scripture. The first is an elder is a shepherd. Now, I don't know if you know very much about sheep and shepherds from first century Palestine. A shepherd in, in Paul's day, Peter's day, Jesus' day, a shepherd was responsible for sheep, right? Another was responsible, uh, a shepherd was responsible for sheep. Do you know how responsible they were for sheep? If you lost, if you were a shepherd living in Jesus' day and you lost a sheep, you were financially responsible for that sheep. Shepherds on the totem pole of, uh, of pay scale weren't very high. So you lose a sheep, which is valuable for its wool and for its meat and all kinds of stuff. You lose a sheep, you're in trouble. You got to pay for that sheep. And so you would do anything you could to protect your sheep, the sheep that were under your care. One of the coolest things that I've learned about shepherds and sheep is how they would protect the sheep. They would take brush and shrubs and rocks and, and timber and, and branches, and they would build a pen around the sheep. So they'd build this pen to keep the animals out. And there was a gate, there was an opening in the sheep pen. And what would happen is, at night, the shepherd would lay down across the opening of the sheep pen. So that if lions and tigers and bears, <laughs> if they were to come and try and attack the sheep, they couldn't get through the walls. The only way to get to the sheep was to go through the, the shepherd. That's the only way to get to the sheep is you've got to go through the shepherd. Jesus calls, or God calls the elders of the church to be shepherds, to lay down their lives 
for the sheep, to serve the sheep. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Paul called the Ephesian elders to himself to say goodbye, the elders of the church of Ephesus, which he, with whom he had worked for years. And he says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Be shepherds. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, Peter wrote, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. Overseers is another word for elder. Not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Eager to serve. An elder is a servant leader, and that comes from being a shepherd. In Psalm 23, verses 1 through 3, David wrote, we all know these words, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. This is the job of the shepherd, to lead and feed the sheep, to lead them to quiet waters to drink, to, to lead them to lush pastures in which to graze, to provide for their needs, to provide for the needs of the flock. That is one of the jobs of an elder is to be a shepherd. So they are described as shepherds. The Greek word is poimen, and it literally means shepherd. Another word that is used to describe an elder is the word overseer, and we saw that in those verses there. An elder is described as an overseer, and this is where the leadership comes in. You've got to be a servant leader, someone who is willing to get out in front and lead, and to lead by example, to lead by following Jesus, saying, there's Jesus and I'm following him and you all need to follow me but not lording it over him, not, hey, you know, I'm the elder, I'm the, the head guy in charge, you got to follow me, but rather saying, I'm following Christ, and as I follow his example, you follow mine. To be a leader is one of the most important jobs in the church of Jesus Christ. It is one of the most important jobs. And here's the, here's the test of knowing if you're a leader or not. If you turn around and there's nobody following you, you're just taking a walk. You got to have people follow you. One of the things that Jesus talks about when he says that he is the good shepherd is that the sheep know his voice and he knows the sheep and the sheep know him. And it's important that the elders of the church know the sheep and spend time with the sheep. I have a book about church leadership called They Smell Like Sheep. That's what a shepherd does. Shepherd hangs out with the sheep all the time. A shepherd smells like sheep. You've got to be a humble servant leader if you are going to serve as an elder in God's church. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, that I read earlier, talks about if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer. You've got to have that desire to serve as an elder. You've got to have that want to, to be an elder. You've got to have that, that real burning desire that, that, that you really want to serve God in this way. And if you don't have that desire, then you shouldn't serve. That's the first qualification. The, the one that gets overlooked the most is the desire to serve as an elder. You can't take it lightly. You cannot take being an elder lightly. It is so important. 
it is so important that we have good, strong leaders in our church family. For they will, as they follow the example of Christ, they will lead us into the future and into making a difference in our community. Let's talk about deacons for a little bit. A deacon is a Christian. Same kind of qualifications, not as extensive a list, but there are a list of qualifications for deacons. And just like elders, a deacon is supposed to be a Christian, first and foremost, to be a follower of Jesus Christ, someone who follows Jesus. It can be men or women. The Greek talks about both men and women deacons. And again, it's somebody who has to follow the leadership of Jesus Christ in their life. Are you submitting and surrendering to Jesus on a regular basis? Are you taking up your cross on a daily basis and following Jesus? That is what being a deacon is all about, is following Jesus Christ. The deacons in, in Paul's day, in, in, in Peter's day, in, uh, in the early church were set apart for a special purpose. The first deacons were appointed uh, in the book of Acts, and there were seven of them. The, the word, we'll get into this in just a second, what the word deacon means, but they, they appointed these seven guys for a very special purpose, and that was to, uh, to serve people. They were set apart for a special purpose, a special position of leadership in, in God's church. And so just as elders are called to be Christians, Deacons are called to be Christians as well. And you know what? Just as elders are called to be servant leaders, so are deacons. Deacons are called to be servant leaders as well. The Greek word for deacon, diakonos, literally means to be a table waiter or a table servant. Someone who waits on tables. As someone who has waited on tables before, for a year and a half at the Outback Steakhouse in Terre Haute, Indiana, um, it's not a glorious, glamorous job. It, it's, it's, it's just not. There's, there's, how many reality shows are there about waiters and waitresses? Not, not very many. It's not very glamorous. But you know what's an important job? Because if you go to a restaurant, and you go to a restaurant, and you sit down at your table, and it's five minutes before anybody comes over to your table, or ten minutes are you getting up and leaving? Absolutely. What is going on? They're important, right? We get all huffy. If, if your drink sits empty, 30 seconds, a minute, tap, tap, tap on the glass. I'll get it, I'll get it, I'll get it. Uh-huh, uh-huh, okay. We're very impatient people, and we never realize that more than we're sitting at the table at the restaurant, Right? Absolutely. The, the, the position may not be glamorous, but it's very, very important. And you know what? Our deacons in our churches sometimes don't get a lot of the credit. They don't get a lot of the glory. It's not a very, may not be a very glamorous position, but let me tell you what. It's so very important. Because like I said, in Acts chapter 6, they appointed these seven guys to serve as, as servants in the church to free up the elders to do something very important. And that was the ministry of prayer and ministry of the word. It freed up the elders to do the ministry of preaching and, and, and teaching and praying by taking care of the needs, the physical needs of the people. So it was a very, very important position. I've served churches before where it seemed that the only job of the deacons was to serve communion on Sunday morning. 
it's not what it's that's not what it's for. It's not what the position of deacon is for. Not saying that they can't serve communion, but what I'm saying is that there's more to it than than serving communion and more than just sitting on a board and and saying I. The position of deacon is very very important. And let me tell you what, we have great deacons at our church. Here at Griffith First Christian Church, we have some great deacons, and I'm gonna I'm gonna recognize them for just a moment. We've got Lisa Bubala, who's Deacon over children's ministry. Janice Francis takes care of our communion ministry. Letty Garcia takes care of the performing, art, performing arts ministry. Rhonda and Tim O'Brien uh, lead the fellowship ministry. Melissa Rothschild leads our elderberries ministry. Brandon Rooks is the deacon over praise and edification. Bob Rooks is the deacon over finance. Liz Kovacki leads the women's ministry. Jimmy Silver heads up our property ministry. Sue Langer is the deacon over missions. Tony and Sandy Martinez are in charge of outreach. And we've had other deacons serve as well. If I missed you, I apologize. Send me a nasty email this week. We have wonderful deacons. Would you give them a round of applause? Because they do a great, great job. And I, I can't emphasize enough just, just how much hard work they put in um, and a lot of them have to cover up my mistakes. And so I am very appreciative of our deacons and, and the great job that they do. And you know what? Here's the thing is we need more people to get involved. Maybe you feel the call of God on your life to serve as a deacon or to serve as, as, as an elder. You know, we need people to get involved in the life of our church and to get involved and to serve. Get your hands dirty. Get your fingers in the mud and, and, and make mud pies with us. We're going to have, I mean, we have a good time. We have a great time serving God, and we want you to get involved. We want you to be a part of the family. We want you to be a part of the, the leadership team as we move forward into 2012. We really want you to be a part of this. So ask yourself, how can I serve here? How can I get involved? What can I do? And we'll find you a place to serve. How many of you have read the book or seen the movie Charlotte's Web? Very popular book. Very popular movie. The famous pig, that's right. Some pig. You know what? It's, it's a story of this little pig named Wilbur and a spider named Charlotte. And Wilbur's terrified that he's going to get big and fat and they're going to turn him into bacon. Right? But Charlotte sees something special in this pig. And she calls attention to how special he really is. And there's the little scene, you know, the some, she writes in the messages in the spider webs, and this is some pig. As she's nearing the end of her life, as she nears the end of her life, she's dying in the barn, and, and yet she can hear the applause of the people as they celebrate Wilbur, as he wins an award, as he wins a prize. And she knows that her life has gone to be something more than just being a spider. She has contributed to the success of someone else. She has found joy in knowing that her life has meant the success of her friend Wilbur. Our elder Mike Ryan talks a lot about making others successful. That he views the job of an elder and the job of a church leader is to, to make somebody else successful, to help them be successful in their walk with Christ, to help them be successful in their journey as a leader, to help me be successful and to help David be successful in our jobs as ministers. And you know what? That's one of the greatest things that you can give your life for, is to build other people up 
is to lift other people up, to encourage other people, to edify other people, and to help them be successful, whether it's in ministry, whether it's in their, their journey and their walk as a Christian. And that's one of the things, that's one of the most awesome things that a leader in the church gets to do, is you get to contribute and help other people be successful. Your life as a leader, you know what, it, it, may, be, it may go overlooked, you, you may never get a round of applause, you may never get um, you may never have, you know, uh, a minister get up and say wonderful things about you on a Sunday morning, though you probably deserve it. But I tell you what, it doesn't go unnoticed. The Bible says that, that those who lead are worthy of a double honor. The, the Bible says that there is great reward for those who lead and lead well. And so I, I want to challenge you today to pray for our leaders, to pray for those who are going to serve in the coming years, to pray for those who will serve as elders, to pray for those who will serve as deacons, to pray for those who are serving in these capacities. Pray for these men and women because they need your prayers. They have a tough job. They work with me. But they have, no, they have a really tough job and there's a lot of expectations on them and they do a wonderful job and they need your prayers. So will you cov covenant with me today Will you make a promise that you will pray for these folks and that you will lift them up to the Father in prayer, the one who hears our prayers, the one who answers our prayers, because those who lead well will lead us into the future and we will make a difference and we just might change the world. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the, uh, the instructions that you gave to Timothy and Titus about about the way elders and, and deacons are to lead. And Lord, I pray that we wouldn't get so caught up in, in uh, rules and checklists, but, but God, we would, we would seek to have leaders who, who are seeking to follow Jesus. And then I, I pray today for the leaders who are coming uh, on board next year and uh, the ones that you have already set apart. And I pray that, Lord, you would uh, begin to stir within them a desire for leadership and a, and a desire to, to build the church and uh, to grow as, as followers of Jesus and to help others to be successful. Thank you, God, for those who have chosen to lead and who are leading well. I thank you for their willingness to sacrifice their time, to sacrifice their their resources and sacrifice, make sacrifice after sacrifice to, to lead in your church. I thank you for that. And I pray that we will all work together to encourage our leaders. And God, we will all work together to build your kingdom. For that is the most important thing, is that your kingdom, that your kingdom grow and that people come to know that Jesus loves them very much. Thank you for your love and your mercy. Thank you for our leaders. And we pray that you would guide us as a congregation, guide us as a church family, and lead us in the future. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.